0: Good singing you may be seen. I don't know, maybe Sarah will join me on this, but I enjoyed hearing all of the answers that Zach was giving to the three ladies that sat in his office this morning. I was sitting next door. We may start paying people to go in and ask Zach all the tough questions, but... um, I appreciate those ladies going in and finding out or seeking out answers, and so it is an opportunity. In fact, next Sunday night we'll be looking at Church As We Know It. As we are tonight, we're looking at Church As We Know It, a series that we started way back in February, if you can imagine that, but uh, it was all the way back in February that we started it, and we covered quite a bit of ground. Tonight we're going to read a passage of Scripture, if you'll turn to Matthew chapter number 4. Matthew chapter 4. In the series so far, we've been looking at what our statements of philosophy are, and or what, they, what each of them says, and then preaching a message so that the church family has perspective on what we do, why we do it, how we operate. So far, we have covered in our church philosophies those that pertain to ministry, leadership, worship, music, Preaching, discipleship, fellowship, evangelism, education. This one, the next one was probably the most odd named, but it is true, and that is propriety. That means how we conduct ourselves. Uh, How we behave ourselves, Uh, if you were in Bluegrass 101 over the last three weeks, out with me in the modular, we use that passage that Paul writes to Timothy that says we ought to know how we should behave ourselves in the house of the living God. We should have a right way to behave, and so we don't have a code of conduct that you must meet that pastor sets, but there are some principles. So then we study that, propriety, after that we looked at youth, and tonight we come to Counseling. Counseling. You say, we have a counseling ministry here? (laughs) Yeah. That's probably how most of my time is spent uh, as a pastor, is spending time with folks in counseling. And counseling runs the gamut. Sometimes we think of counseling and we think, well, it's just about an addiction. That's a part of it. But here at our church, that is a nominal part of counseling. A nominal part. It doesn't mean that it's not a part or a component, and it is a necessary thing but we have marriage counseling, financial counseling, relationship counseling. We have all sorts of ways in which we try to ingraft the Word of God into the lives of believers and then make a difference. Well, where do we get this idea of of counseling? Where does it come from, and what are we talking about? Uh, Let's read verse 23 of Matthew chapter 4, a very simple verse. I could have picked the passage from Matthew chapter 9, but I figured those that were in Bluegrass 101 or have been in the past don't want to hear me teach another lesson on Matthew chapter 9. It is the same context, or not same context, excuse me, it is the same phrasing. The same three words are used there, and we're going to focus on the final one. The Bible says in verse 23 of Matthew, and Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. Father, I pray this evening as we come to the word of God that you will help us. Help us to understand why the church gives the biblical support and help that we give. And really, as we hear this message, it might be beneficial for those who under the sound of my voice, to understand how they should receive it. Lord, a healthy church will end up having multiple people who prove themselves worthy counselors, worthy to give advice and admonition on the things that are important in this life. Tonight, Father, as we come to the Word of God, as we come to these truths, it is a topical message, and I pray that you would keep us on point as we talk about what we do to help heal the lives of those members in this place and any who might come seeking help in this place. Bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I feel like I'm going to cough. I figured you did not want to hear that. So, Matthew chapter 4, we find Jesus is giving himself... In his threefold gospel ministry. In fact, Jesus, as he walked this earth, had a three pronged ministry approach. We read it here in verse 23. That is teaching, preaching, and healing. The word teaching here is the word didasco. It means to hold discourse with others in order to instruct them. It's effectively what we're doing tonight, and when the teenagers go out and the singles go out and all of the young people below the teenagers go out, they are going to their classrooms and they're being instructed or taught as pupils from someone who has learned or studied the material. Now, some of you are Sunday school teachers in here of the younger age, and you might say, I don't know that I'm a master of that material. Listen, when you're teaching a five-year-old, you don't have to have a, a full grasp of everything in the Bible. You just have to have a willingness to teach, right? And that's a blessing. We talked about that back when we talked about our philosophy of, <clears throat> of teaching, excuse me. But the idea that Jesus came to hold discourse with others so that He might instruct them in what is right and righteous is an important aspect of ministry. The second aspect that we read of there is the word preaching. It is the word curioso. It means to proclaim after the manner of a herald. It's what I'm doing tonight. Now, technically, it is the Sunday evening, and it is Sunday school in its nature, but as we understand it, there is a manner of way in which we approach and preach the Bible. It is always with the suggestion of formality, this word, curioso. It has gravity and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. In other words, it's not just casual conversation and teaching. This has a call to it. This has a plea that is built into it. It has the concept of drawing someone in. And so Jesus, when he went about, we're told, taught and preached. But the third element is one that we don't really understand. It is hard for me, as a Baptist, who believes the sign gifts have ended, to say, we have a ministry of healing. It's hard for us to understand that, isn't it? All right, Pastor, you got the gift of healing. You're going to go down to Central Baptist, or I changed your name, Baptist Health, and are you going to heal all the people that are sick there and then go on over to UK and heal everybody there? I mean, if you got the ministry of healing, that's not what this word means. Now, Christ could do that. He's the creator. The sign gifts were upon him because as God, it was a manifestation that his message was right and true, it was accurate. And so we understand the teaching and the preaching is also accompanied to healing. The word healing we've dealt with in the last couple of weeks, and that is the word therapuo. It has the idea of therapy. It means to do service with the intention to heal, cure, restore one other to health in fullness. When we understand what that word means, then we understand a function of the church is not to be a lightning rod in the world of separation and division, but rather to be a light in the world. And that's where most churches go wrong. They just drive people away because of their own caustic behavior. Well, we can't have people like that here. Where is your therapy? Where is your healing? Well, Pastor, there is some propriety that has to be here. Yes, I absolutely agree with that, but that comes from those who are in the core membership, those who are faithful in Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. But, friend, if this place is not a place of healing or therapy, if it's not a place that is open to bring counsel from the Word of God to intercede and intersect someone's lives, we are in trouble. And so, as we understand it, there is healing that must be done. As the body of Christ, the church has the same threefold ministry that Jesus had. We are His body. We often do really well at numbers 1 and 2. Every good New Testament church. I remember back when we planted bluegrass 14 and a half years ago, there were... Uh, there was one uh, class, if you want to call it that, on Sunday morning, and it was in the auditorium, which was, Billy and Kathy are smiling over there, and Brian and Stacy somewhere are probably smiling, uh, that was in the bottom of the car dome with radiator pipes over top of us, and there was one additional class. What was it, Brian? It was the nursery. And it's the hardest thing in the world for me to see Kaylee Watson driving a car, because she was the first one in that nursery. And Kate just got her driver's license, or was getting ready to get her learner's permit, and she was having her diapers changed in that nursery. And it's hard for me to realize that we've come from that little incubation church to a church now that should be very well skilled in doing all three things that Jesus did. So this ministry of counseling is one that is absolutely essential. The ministry of healing is the counseling role of the church. It is not purely resigned to the paid staff either but for those who want to help heal the hurts of others. There are things that must be adopted and there are things that must be avoided in the believer's life. And if you are a strong and mature Christian, it is your place to make sure you help restore your fellow believers. Healing is, in fact, a part of our eternal state. Did you know that? Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through one and 2 say this, For behold... The day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubbled, they'll be burned, they'll be removed. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch, but unto you that fear my name name shall the Son of righteousness arise with what? Healing in His wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. In other words, well-fed, well-stocked. There is therapy in the wings of Jesus, is what that verse is telling us. Revelation 22, in verses 1 through 3, says this, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river was there a tree of life which bear twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for what? The heat of You're going to sound like the Swedish chef tonight. What was it? The healing of the nations. The healing of the nations. Wait, forever? I mean, Revelation 22 is in the eternal state. The age of grace is done, the tribulation is over, the millennial kingdom has run our course, the battle of Armageddon has been fought, all of the enemies of God have been cast into the lake of fire. In chapter 21, it unfolds these seven new things, and in chapter 22, it is giving us a picture of what forever will look like. And there is the healing of the nations. What does that mean? The tree of life will yield her fruit each season for the therapy of the nations. Imagine the therapeutic effect that Christ's everlasting love and the presence of all of God's righteousness and goodness has on the hatred that exists in this present world. I thought about this as I was preparing this message. This is the most recent thing added to this sermon over the last week and a half, two weeks there are going to be people in heaven who fought on the Nazi Germany side but were believers in Jesus Christ who killed Americans and Americans who killed Germans. Well, how do you square that? I don't know how many were in Vietnam for those who fought and served our country there, but there might have been some Vietnamese from house churches or village churches who knew Jesus Christ and were conscripted into fighting for the Viet Cong and may have died or killed American GIs who themselves were Christians. And it's not just in the sense of war, but all of the evil of this world. There is not going to be a wiping away of our memories in heaven. We're not going to become robots and say, I don't know what happened before. There is going to be memories, but there they'll be in perfection because we will have the perfect healing of Almighty God in our lives. The perfect therapy will exist there. Those memories will not be lost, but the pain and the bitterness in them will be gone. The healing of the nations will be resolved in the tree of life, the Bible says. I'm reminded of that even today, as our country seems inevitably pit, as it was in years gone by against Russia, with the Chinese government and their military. I hope that I'm not raising three boys that will fight in some conflict Over there, or perhaps over here, where there is probably more Christians in China than there are residents of the United States of America. And we stop and we think about that and we think, oh, there is a lot of therapy that needs to go on. There is a lot of healing that needs to be administered, and the point is, the Everlasting love of Jesus Christ will be there to provide the therapy that is needed, the healing that is desired. That incredible fact on a national level will also be true on a personal level. Whatever harm another human being has done to you, whatever agony a group has caused you, whatever loss, whatever defeat, whatever disappointment will be healed through a perfect knowledge of God and through a progression, progression, I should say, of time in His full presence. I doubt that in a billion and a half years there will still be people mad at each other. But every month in her season, the tree of life will produce fruit. And you say, well, Pastor, you don't even know what that means. No, neither do you. But I know this, there is healing in the eternal future, so there needs to be a ministry of healing in the ever-present of our own lives. It is not as if God wipes our mind from, earthly, from our earthly existence. He does not clean that away. Nowhere in the Scriptures is that principle taught. It will be that perfect healing that will help resolve and dissolve all pain and hurt from this life. If it is true then, then we who live eternal life now should be administering the same kind of healing. You say, you believe that? I believe it with all my heart. I believe it. Was one of the three functions that we as a church need to be able to do. And I've believed it since I planted the church. With this reality of our future state, we can make some assessments about our present state then. As a church, we engage in what is called newthetic counseling. Nuthetic counseling consists of lovingly confronting people out of deep concern in order to help them make those changes that God requires in their life. That is the process of newtetically using the Word of God and applying it to someone's life. Take your Bible and turn over to Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter number 20 in verse 28. In this passage of Scripture, the Apostle Paul has called the Ephesian elders... In verse number 17, if you just look back there, if you're in that passage already, it won't be on the overhead. But if you look there, it says, From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And so he had brought those Ephesian elders. Some believe that in that group might have been Timothy, might have been Titus, it might have been Apollos at that time. He was traveling around and helping to build up other churches when the apostle Paul had already been there or had left. There was a great... Uh, group of men who were leading different churches in that uh, part of the world or in that time especially, whomever it was that was called, whomever was rallied to his place, we find that Paul begins to talk to them and give them instruction on how they as a church should be operating, how they should be engaged. He says this in verse number 28. We'll read down to verse 32. He says, take heed or pay attention, watch out. Therefore, unto unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. He's speaking to pastors here. He's speaking to church leaders here. To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also... Of your own selves, of your own preachers, shall men arise speaking perverse things? Why to draw away disciples after them? Verse thirty-one. Therefore, watch and remember that the space that by the space of three years I cease not to warn. If you have a pen, underline that word "warn." It is the word admonish. It is is instead of a, a discouraging word, it is an encouraging word of here's what's right. I want you desperately to do what is right. It is the idea of newthetic counseling. God says this, you're doing that. This is what is right. He said, I did not stop warning you. Everyone, night and day with tears. Verse 32, and now brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up, and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. There is much in this particular passage to guide a church in multiple different ministries. For tonight, we focus there on verse 31. And the fact that Paul admonished the Ephesian elders and church members by warning them. That was his admonition. That was his caution to them. To admonish is to confront As a friend, not as a foe, how do most people confront those in the church that they don't agree with or think are doing something wrong? Let me tell you something. You, buddy, are sinning. Well, good luck. You're not in the pathway to healing at that point. You're on the fast track to hurting. And so we understand what Paul says is, look, it cost me a lot of energy to spend night and day in tears over three years with them warning them, admonishing them, and confronting them as a friend tells me that Paul had a serious mind about the idea of counseling others or bringing them into proper alignment with God. To admonish is to comfort as a friend, and it was the normal method of counseling before the advent of the modern secular psychological movement. Now, you just run down to a therapist, and he throws some medicine at you. But the Bible says we have the answers that have every the answers that pertain to life and godliness. That means all of life and godliness. Peter tells us in his epistle. The father, if you want to call him that, of newthetic counseling, or the one that codified it and brought it into understanding, is J. Adams. He had a book called Competent to Counsel, and he also has a book called The Christian Counselor's Manual. Both of them are on my shelves. Both of them are about every three or four years, I reread them, and I see if there's any updates to them. I have them in digital format. I have them in print format. I have many of the worksheets because my job as a pastor is to make sure I'm as skilled and up-to-date as I possibly can be. And you might say, well, pastor, you can solve all my problems. Can I tell you a secret tonight about counseling? Only you can solve all your problems. My job is to point you to the answer in the word of God so that you can see what your problem is and what the corrective course is. But I can't make you better. That's going to be a lesson that we learn tonight very clearly. His school, they used to have just newthetic counseling. It is now called the, this is hard for me. I had to actually write it down in my notes tonight. The ACBC certification. You don't have to have one of those to be a good counselor. If you ever have to go outside the church to get counseling, or if you move away from here, or God leads you away from here, and you're looking for somebody to help your family, if you haven't found a good local church, then by all means, go find somebody that has an ACBC certification. You say, are they Baptistic? No, but they're going to use the Bible to use you, or to help you, not use you. I hope you don't find somebody like that. You can tell it's been a long Sunday of preaching. There are three basic ideas in this concept of newthetic counseling, and that is this, confrontation, concern, and change. And you say, is this the preaching? I'm still in the introduction. Hang with me. When we get to the actual message, it will be quick. The three basic ideas are confrontation, concern, and change. Confrontation in the newthetic approach to counseling uses the Bible, not human ideas, to speak to people about their problems. The counselor holds up the Bible as a mirror to show the counselee their sin issue that he or she may not even be aware of at that time. Do you have a Bible basis for that, Pastor? Yes, James chapter 1, verses 22-25 through 25 says, But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. For if any be a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his face in a natural glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his, uh, goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that is this book, And continueth therein, he, or she, being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. In other words, my job is to make you confront your sin. By the way, any good counselor for a pastor? And there are a lot of pastors that need good counsel. I often will seek counsel on things, and we'll talk about why I would do that later. Pastor, are you in deep sin? You don't need to be in deep sin to get some help. That is the error that most Christians look at. Well, I'm okay. Well, are you? I think one of the first things that tells me you're not okay is if you walk around always saying you're okay. The second is concern. Neuthetic counseling comes from a place of genuine concern and seeks the welfare of the counselee. The counselor strives for an emotional connection with the counselee and not a detached clinical relationship. Put your glasses on, take your pen and paper out, sit cross-legged in your chair and say, tell me all your problems, as they lay on the couch. That's clinical psychology. And you can form all kinds of isms in a person in that detached mode. But if you actually invest in people, that's why a church that's actually healthy in the realm of healing or therapy cannot just have one pastor or even just the pastors doing that work. There's going to need to be a growth in maturity and a use of, of spiritual gifts for people to grow into that opportunity. My favorite church that does this is Valley Forge Baptist Temple in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, King of Prussia era, area. Uh, Scott Wendell, he left the church that I grew up in and then also left to go plant a church about two and a half decades before me. But I've always watched him from afar growing up in my church, watching him as a church planner. They have a complete new counseling center. There are people that have been hired out of the church to become on staff. They probably see two to three hundred people a month to benefit their community. Oh, wouldn't that be great if we did at the church? Yeah, right now it'd run me right into the grave. I can't keep up with that. Well, I'll sign up, Pastor. Well, let's make sure we get all the basics right. I, don't, I can't just send somebody off to fly an F-16 that doesn't even know how to drive a car. In other words, we have to make sure it's right. And that's why part of this church as we know it is a series that we're preaching throughout this year. Galatians chapter 6 is the basis for this concern. Galatians 6 and verse 1, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are nosy... Is that what it says? Ye which are gossipy. I got a lot of those. I had to explain to my boys the other day, reading in Proverbs, what a tail bearer was. They thought it was somebody that walked around holding a dog's tail. No, it's a gossip. What does it say? Ye who are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, not haughtiness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Later, he says this in verse number 10. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. There is confrontation, there is concern in New Counseling, and the third is change. The goal of New Counseling is to bring Change. By drawing wisdom from the word of God, the counselor desires that the counselee experience the power and blessing of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 20 says this. This is ultimately the goal of what somebody leaving good counseling should be. This is the state that they should be in. That thou mayest walk in the way of a good man and keep the paths of the righteous. That's the ultimate goal in counseling. New Thetic Counseling is Bible-based, Christ-centered, and local church-oriented. New Thetic Counseling holds the premise that the Bible is the Word of God, according to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, and is completely sufficient for meeting the mental, spiritual, and emotional needs of mankind. When I asked to pray for someone, and some of you have had me come to your house and I've prayed with you or I've been there for a surgery, COVID really threw a monkey wrench in a lot of my time going to help people, and they still have a little bit of monkey wrench in it. But when I would go and was able to do that, I would always say, look, there's three ways that I can pray for you, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Because Paul, when he prays for the Thessalonican church, he says, I pray that your whole body, soul, and spirit be preserved blameless. I can't pray for something that's immaterial. I can only pray for those three material parts of you. I can only help you in those ways. So here I put in your notes what our philosophy of counseling is in the blue. Through counseling, here's our philosophy, we address human feelings with the light, capital L, of, uh, with the light of heavenly facts, through biblical faith, to create a holy future. Let me state it again before we get into the first point this evening. Through counseling, we address human feelings, with the light of heavenly facts, through biblical faith, to create a holy future. Well, what does it mean, human feelings? Let's talk about that briefly in each of these stops. We'll talk about the three components of that. Human feelings, heavenly facts, and a holy future. Psalm 139, verse 23 says this, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see, that word see has the idea of perceive in fullness. See me completely. See if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know, it is a hard thing to ask God to expose or to peer into your life. It's a hard thing. God, I want you to make obvious my failures. My, my frailty and my weakness. I want you to expose my sinful behavior and thoughts. How many of us, just don't raise your hand, but maybe in the honesty of your own mind say, yeah, pastor, that's what I want every morning. Uh, if you're in the Word of God and you're a really holy saint, then yes, maybe, and you should come talk, about, come talk to me about becoming a counselor. But truthfully, most of us in our human emotions and our feelings, we want to keep those that are wicked. We want to keep those that are sinful. We don't want to deal with them often. Many times, what we do is we just bury them rather than actually resolve them in a spiritual way. We just bury them and move past them. Human feelings are fickle, aren't they? They drive us crazy. Many of the manias that we have are all from our phobias. Human feelings are fickle, but you know what they are? They're real. Well, pastor, I don't let that bother me. Really? I mean, maybe that's true. But we all have emotions. We all have feelings. There's no way to just pretend that we don't have feelings. When we're confronted with truth, we naturally react negatively. Our flesh hates being throttled. Our flesh hates being told no. It hates being contained or constrained. But God in the Bible will never force you to reign in your feelings, but it will show you how you can. Yeah. That's the beauty of what the Word of God is. There are three possible responses to good Bible counseling. And if I can this evening with each of them, I'm going to give them very quick order, by the way, but I'm going to use the example of Eve. If I was counseling Eve on these three responses to our human feelings in the process of counseling, here's what I would tell her. Letter A, the first response to human feelings is that which we must stop. Eve, stop listening to Satan. I'm using Eve because it's pretty obvious, okay? I'm not going to get down on the weeds of all of our emotional problems. Tonight's message is about our philosophy of it, not the practice of it. Eve, stop listening to Satan. Well, I mean, he says some really good things. I mean, he's on at the 9 o'clock news hour on my favorite television station, and he says it. It must be true. He said, I'm not going to die. God's not going to kill you. There's just two of you. Why would you listen to him? I would counsel Eve if I were sitting in front of her and Adam before she took of the fruit. I would say to Eve, Eve... Stop listening to Satan. There are things in our life when we are confronted with the Word of God and our feelings that we must stop. The second response is there are things that we may start. There is that which must stop, but then there is the, uh, the opposite, which is there are things that we may start. Eve, start listening to God. You know That would be a great idea. Stop listening to Him and start listening to Him. Well, that's a good idea. The Bible says, To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. There are some things that we have to start. There's some things that we have to actually begin to engage in in our life. The third thing that I would put in your notes there is, not just that which we must stop and that which we must start, but there is that which we might strengthen in our life. You say, well, what are you going to tell Eve on this? Here's what I would have told Eve if I was sitting with Eve as her counselor before she took of that fruit. I would have said, Eve... Strengthen your relationship with Adam and trust what God has revealed to him about eating the fruit. That is the great sin in the garden or the great problem in the garden, right? God gave the command to Adam before he created Eve. It was Adam's responsibility to convey God's word to his wife, to his helpmeet, and we find that she failed in it. But what, by the way, who is sin assigned to? Not Eve. It's assigned to Adam because Adam ultimately is responsible for that failure. But my counsel to Eve would have been, hey, you know what? You might want to go home and strengthen your relationship with Adam. This is not going to go well if you listen to this other guy named Satan. Right? This Lucifer here, eh, probably don't want to listen to him. The serpent, he's going to beguile you. Not a good idea. And you say, do you talk like that in counseling? I talk a lot different in counseling than I do in the pulpit. Because in the process, I'm trying to come in in hand-in-hand with you to figure out how we solve the problems of life that are presenting themselves. There are things that must stop, there are things that may start, and there are things that we might strengthen, and we ought to give attention to those things. Feelings must be restrained. But through what? The answer is, number two, heavenly facts. Now, if I wasn't looking for pastorally, sing-songy, rhymey things, I would say the Bible. You're welcome to write that to the side. The Bible. The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for me. Heavenly facts are important. How do I contain and restrain my feelings? Because every, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, one of my favorite verses, every man is first in his own cause. Do you know what that means? Your opinion's always right to you. <laughs> That's what it means. <laughs> well, I'm not that bad at that. Well, I would hope you would say that about yourself. If you walk around like Eeyore all the time, oh, I'm just terrible. This is the worst life ever. I didn't read Joel's book. <laughs> Some of you will get that joke in a few minutes. Let it sink in. Okay. How do you contain those feelings? How do you correct, maybe, even those feelings? And the answer is only through the Word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, "...for the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit." And of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart But notice the very next verse after it tells us what the Bible does after it tells us exactly how it penetrates Exactly how it divides how we think and how we feel when it says our soul and our spirit is divided That was not an Old Testament principle The Old Testament There was only one word for the soul and spirit of man in the Hebrew language But in the Koine Greek there are two differentiations between the soul and the spirit and what the Bible does is it cuts between what we think and what we feel. Our heart and our soul, our heart and our mind, I should say. Here's the next verse. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in whose sight? His. Well, the his here refers to the verse before, the Bible, the living word, Jesus Christ. He is the one that is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword goes on and says, but all things are naked. That means it is exposed to Him. You can't hide anything from God. That's what good counseling will do. It will expose what is wrong, and you then have a choice to make upon it. All things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. It is the heavenly facts that arrest our human feelings. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be what? Mature, perfect, grown up, truly or completely and totally furnished unto all good works. Every time Jessica and I have moved houses, and if you've been at church for a long time, we've moved houses a lot of times. But I think we finally found a home forever where we're at. But the point is, well, not forever, for now, until the Lord calls us home. The point is, we have found out, but you know what we had to do in every single house? We had to furnish it. You know what? I need this over there. And you know, it's your wife, men, so she smiles and she says it and you say, yes, that's exactly what we need. And then you go to the store and you realize, ah, furnishing costs a lot of money. Oh, my goodness. Many of you have come over to our house and they don't like me saying this, but many of you have come over to our house and you see that wonderfully huge, beautiful dining room table that we can sit lots of people at. In fact, when Alec got baptized, we probably had nine people sitting at that beautiful table. You know how that was furnished? Brother Mike and Miss Jerry gave it to us when they closed down Black Diamond's operation. They said, we have this big old dining room table. Could you all use it? You have a lot of people in your house. It was wonderful. Man, that was the best furnishing I've ever done. It didn't cost me a dime. <laughs> it cost Brother Mike and Miss Jerry a lot, I'm sure. <laughs> The point is, is that's the idea of furnishing. You could read verse 16 this way. All scripture is given for a twofold reason. It is given, one, by inspiration of God. God breathed it. But the second is that it's profitable. It is inspired and it is profitable. When you start to look at the Bible in that way, then whatever it tells us to do, you realize that God breathed it. It's his very breath. And that very breath is profit to us. What is the profit that you and I might be perfect, mature, completely furnished, completely capable of doing all good works? That's good counseling. Human feelings are arrested by heavenly facts. So I put three thoughts here, and we'll go through them quickly. A, B, and C. We see then that there is a truth that God declares. Whatever your issue is, whatever the issue we're addressing is in counseling, If you are counseling someone else, you have to see what does God declare. One of the great blessings, and now this is twice I'm bragging, I don't mean to, and I'm embarrassing, but one of the great blessings that has been at this church is that I don't have to give a lot of financial counsel, but there have been a good number of families in our church that have benefited from Brother Mike Duffy's financial counseling, whether it's here teaching in the pulpit or in one-on-one, sitting and saying, Here's a good idea. Here's what the Bible says about this. Here's what God says in this here. That is a component of counseling therapy in our life. How do I handle what God's given me? It could be on addiction. It could be on marriage and relationship. I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with husbands and wives, and I've told them God's truth declares that there's not very many viable reasons for divorce. doesn't mean that there's not. And even if there is a reason to be divorced, it doesn't mean you have to take it. You have the right, I always tell people, it doesn't mean you have the responsibility to get divorced. There's Bible teaching on all of these things. And yet there is reason, more often than not, on the female or on the lady's side of a marriage where it might have to be biblically advisable. The point is, God declares a truth. And letter B, that means we make a decision upon it. All right, I've been given a heavenly fact. Am I going to check my feelings and follow the fact? Nope. Okay, well then we're going to keep counseling on this issue. I've actually said that a time or two through 14 and a half years to someone. Well, looks like we're going to keep talking about this then. Well, I don't know, Pastor. I think you've said everything. Yes, I have, but you're still not in the right place. You're not making the right decision. Okay. Are you not going to leave me alone? No, no, I'll leave you alone. But I'm telling you, you're not heading in the right direction. That is my job. The truth that he declares, I'm supposed to declare to you, or I'm not doing my job. There's truth that God declares. There's a decision that we make, but let her see. Then we go do it. It would seem silly... That someone comes along and says, I want to change, but then doesn't. Yet countless Christian counselors could tell you of dozens of cases in their own counseling that are just that way. God has declared the best path for you, the healthy path for you, the holy path for you is to change. You know what? I see that I need to change. Are you? No. Okay, well. (laughs) Just speaking the words does not mean it comes into existence. (laughs) I've spoken the words, thus I'm liberated. No, that's pop psychology. You can't speak something into existence. You have to do something. Making the decision might be a declaration that you make based upon the declaration God has made in his book, but you actually then have to go and do the thing that's different. Take it in the financial realm, right? Everybody's heard on the radio, old Dave Ramsey, debt is dumb, cash is king. Woo, let's go down and shout because we paid off our house. That's a wonderful concept. And he talks to people every day on my drive home when I'm listening to 99.1 and old Dave Ramsey on the radio. He talks to person after person. Dave, love your show, love your book. Listen to all your stuff. Are you out of debt? Nope. Somehow we ended up with two and a half million dollars more worth of debt. What did you do What I said? Nope. You can't counsel people if they're not going to do it. The doing of revealed truth is the key to overcoming our human emotions. Facts lead our feelings rather than feelings leading our life. Doing, by the way, is biblical faith. Faith isn't hearing, it's doing. We address, we say in our philosophy, human feelings with the light of heavenly facts through biblical faith. If you're not going to exercise biblical faith, then there's no benefit that the counseling is going to give to you. It leads us finally to a holy future. If you do change and you do accept or follow the biblical counsel, whatever it might be. Again, tonight's message is more on the philosophy side, not on the practical side. I can tell you about this counseling. I would never share a church families, or even someone who was a past church member. My job is not to share your details. Want to know one of the great humors that God has? I used to work for the CIA. I was good at keeping secrets. You know what I still am? Really good at keeping secrets. I wouldn't go to a church where a pastor blabbed all my news, and you shouldn't either. Neither does my wife. We see the holy future is found in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 11. I guess I should explain that last one. A lot, many a pastor's ministry has been ruined because his wife can't keep her mouth shut. Oh, pastor, you sound harsh. No, I hope that's healthy for you. My wife is actually better at being reserved in what she says than I am. Many of you know her, and you know know her and know her well, and you know that's true. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 6 through 11 tells us the holy future, how we bring it about or how we keep it in that way through counseling. And as we apply the ministry of counseling and therapy as a church, this is our objective. If thou put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou, speaking to Timothy, hast attained... But refuse profane and old wives' fables. Stop listening to the hearsay of the world and the pop psychology. Stop listening to the things of this world. Don't listen to man's wisdom. And exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, specially or specifically of those who believe. He is the Savior for all men, but it's only realized by those of us who put our faith in Him. These things command and teach. There's three thoughts in your notes, and we'll fill them in quickly. First, to have a holy future... There, you have to be biblically encouraged. As you've come from where you are, overcoming the human feelings by accepting and living in the heavenly facts, exercising that biblical faith, you can have a holy future. How? By biblically encouraging yourself day by day by day. Here's what he says there in verse number six. Nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine well, you know, my friend said this, and this is what I think is true. If your friend is saying, even if it's a church friend, if they're saying something that's contrary to this book, don't listen to them. Graciously smile and say thank you. The Bible and good counsel has said I should do this, X, Y, or Z, and do that. If you are a counselor, encourage yourself biblically. Can I tell you something? Some of you are going to laugh at this. The, The reason I have lost my hair since pastoring this church is not because of counseling. It's because of age. But if there was a secondary reason as to why I might lose my hair, it's because as I give counsel, it's just heard. It's like the old commercial from Leave it to Beaver. They had it like on TV Land like 10 years ago. And it was Ward Cleaver speaking, and the words came out of his mouth. They came in at one ear, rattled around his brain, and went out the other ear. And that's what I feel like a lot of times spiritual, godly, pastoral counsel is. Oh, that's a really good idea, Pastor. I agree with you 100%. Out the door. What did he say? I don't think I'm going to do that. That would be awful hard. Be biblically encouraged, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine. Letter B, it's built through exercise. This goes back to the second or the third point in the heavenly facts. It's doing, 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 doing. Exercise thyself rather unto godlikeness, godliness. If you have a spiritually mature person in your life and they've given you good scriptural counsel, can I tell you something? Try it. I was amazed. I mean, absolutely amazed about a year ago when Jessica kept telling me to try vegetables, what it would do for my health. (laughs) Amazed. And if I still ate vegetables, I would still be amazed at what it would do for my health. She makes me no-bake cookies and sets them right there on the (laughs) counter, and I go, I keep telling myself as I eat those no-bakes, I really love green peppers. I, love, I do love green peppers, by the way. Of all the vegetables, that's the one I like the most, green peppers. But I love green peppers. But you know what my body tells me? <laughs> you love this cookie a lot more than you love that green pepper. I don't exercise myself unto pepper eating. <laughs> I exercise myself unto nachos and cookie eating far too often. We understand this concept, but when it comes to our spiritual life in the healing, therapeutic side of our spiritual growth, we just don't do it. Philosophically, though, this is how we approach it. If you sit down in my office, you will hear me say these things. Probably not in these specific outline ordered form, but I'm going to say, I need you to do it. I need you for a week to read your Bible every morning. Can you do that for me? You can text me, especially if you come in for counseling. You can text me or email me any questions that you have. By the way, many, many times if someone comes in a condition where they've not even been reading their Bible, they don't even care about the things of God, I rarely will get an email from that person. A holy future is biblically encouraged. It's built through exercise and letter see. It's based on the eternal because we trust in the living God. Do you know what God has always been? He has always been. I am, he said to Moses. Jesus said before, Abraham was, I am. The point is, we serve a living God, as we heard in this morning's message. And here Paul says that we must trust in the living God. I don't think it'll change! Why don't you trust God and see? You see, that's a good philosophical approach. It is in a new sense. Can I tell you something? new counseling doesn't change with the times. Bible counseling does not change with the times. But I tell you what it will do. It will change every single person that tries it time after time after time after time. So in closing this evening, if you need counseling, this church will re- give you, or you will receive if you come to this church for biblical counseling, good, thetic, Bible-based counseling that, con- that focuses on confronting through concern with a hope that you will change. Our philosophy, one last time before we pray and close this evening, should should be on the top of your notes. Look at it and read it along with me. Our counseling addresses human feelings with the light of heavenly facts through biblical faith for a holy future. That's what we aim to do in the lives of people both of this place and who come to this place day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year. Can I tell you, that is going to be the long-term secret to success for this body is that we as a body believe in helping heal the hurts of this world. I don't mean their financial ills. I don't mean their dysphorias or their other problems. I mean by giving them Bible truth to live holy today, that will be their secret to a happy and healthy life. Father, pray. I pray this evening... That you will settle these thoughts in our heart. Tonight's message, Lord, has been about philosophy. Why do we do and how do we do what we do? Just like all of the other messages. But I think there's some truth in the fact that many of these faithful and good members could look themselves in the mirror of the Word of God and make some changes. I don't even know what they are, but the Holy Spirit probably even now is tapping and telling That is His nature. That is His intended purpose. To bring us to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the ultimate end goal of any good church, whether it's teaching, preaching, or healing. I pray that we would be engaged in that activity. I thank you for people, particularly of this place, who are always wanting and looking to help other people. As we have, therefore, opportunity, let us do good, especially them of the household of faith. Bless us, I pray, as we depart this evening. Bring us again in the midweek. Bless all that we do and say for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.